That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. So I know what happens when the experts get it wrong. Let's start the new year right with a vision of activism from Priscilla Starr, founder of the International Coalition Against Nukes and my nominee for favorite activist of 2012. This woman has a vision of what we can do and how we can do it, and she shares her thoughts and passion on what we can aim for in 2013. Exciting, motivating, and coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, January 1st, 2013, and here is the week's nuclear news. The big story this week is that the U.S. Navy rescue workers are suing TEPCO for their exposure to Fukushima radiation. Eight crew members of the USS Ronald Reagan, whose home port is San Diego, sued the Tokyo Electric Power Company in federal court as of Wednesday, December 26. They claim that the utility company, a wholly owned public benefits subsidiary of the government of Japan, misrepresented radiation levels to lull the U.S. Navy into a false sense of security. Lead plaintiff Lindsay R. Cooper claims that TEPCO intentionally concealed the dangerous levels of radiation in the environment from U.S. Navy rescue crews working off of the coast of Japan after the March 11, 2011 earthquake and tsunami set off the nuclear disaster. Six of the eight plaintiffs worked on the flight deck of the aircraft carrier and two worked in air contamination or the air department. One also sued on behalf of her infant daughter. The suit says, at all times the defendant, TEPCO, was aware that exposure to even a low dose of radiation creates a danger to one's health and that it is important to accurately report actual levels. The sailor's attorney, Paul Garner, told KGTV in San Diego, they have physical problems. One of them is bleeding from his rectum already. The others have problems with thyroid glands. One of the sailors now has cancer and recently had a baby with birth defects. Some of the sailors experienced symptoms starting in January of 2012, a few months after returning from the humanitarian mission. Lindsay Cooper, a crew member of the Ronald Reagan during Operation Tomodachi, which was the rescue mission in Japan, said, I'm not what I used to be. My body's not what it used to be while I was in the Navy. I'm having weight issues. My thyroid isn't what it used to be. Digestive issues are a big issue that are common with radiation exposure. Kim Geisiking, another crew member from the Reagan during Operation Tomodachi, said, I have degenerative discs all over my back, and I was healthy before all of this. A video forwarded by Fairwinds Energy Education shows that sailors on the USS Reagan went through a radiation plume after heading out to help Japan after the earthquake and tsunami. This was reported by Kyoto News and translated by XSKF. It was revealed on December 31st that a team that the U.S. government sent to Japan in order to measure radiation around the Fukushima 1 nuclear power plant right after the start of the nuclear accident was a special team to counter nuclear terrorism. But Japan was slow to make use of radiation data provided by the unit, according to U.S. and Japanese government sources. 
The Consequences Management Response Team provided radiation data from the first round of aerial measuring system operations to the Nuclear and Industrial Safety Agency, then Japan's nuclear regulatory body, as well as to other ministries. These initial data, however, were not effectively used to make decisions about the early evacuation of residents around the plant, several Japanese sources reiterated recently. In addition, it appears that the U.S. Navy did not use the data to protect the sailors on the USS Reagan either. An important video put together by Christina Consuelo points out further radiation incompetencies by the U.S. Navy. A link to this crucial information in the video will be up on the Nuclear Hot Seat website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. Here in the States, it looks like Southern California Edison got a big chunk of coal from Santa this year, delivered by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission on December 26th. In a long list from the NRC's request for additional information, This was following hearings that took place regarding Edison's planned restart of the damaged San Onofre nuclear power plant. Edison will have to completely redo their calculations for their operational assessment to demonstrate tube integrity at 100% power, not just at 70% as they had proposed for the restart. Additionally, they may have to apply for a license amendment for operation at reduced power, which would likely give the public the much sought-after opportunity for a trial-like adjudicated evidentiary hearing. Another outcome might be that the replacement steam generators will prove to be inoperable at 100% power, which we hope would lead Edison to determine that it is time for an early decommission. The technical term for all this is, woohoo, way to go! Kudos to all the activists in Southern California who have been working on this. It's a big break for our side. Regarding the debris field, on The Big Picture with Tom Hartman, where he interviewed Kevin Camps of Beyond Nuclear, Tom asked, what about this nuclear waste that's heading for the United States, meaning the debris field from the quake and tsunami? Kevin Camps answered, it'll be continual for a long time into the future. There's the surface flotsam and jetsam, the floating materials which if you read the mainstream media the past couple of days, there's this discounting that, oh, it's not radioactive. There's no way to know that. It could well be radioactive. And there's no radiation monitoring going on. Our tax dollars at work, protecting people and the environment. Over to Japan for the numbnuts of the week. Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has stated unequivocally for the first time that his government will endorse the construction of new nuclear power plants while seeking to win over the public on this issue. Ha! Good luck on that one. He's ignoring the fact that the public has been gathering every week by the tens of thousands to protest the restart of the reactors. According to the Japan Times, in an editorial published today, January 1, 2013, The Abe administration's position on nuclear power generation is extremely regrettable, considering the fact that the catastrophe at Tokyo Electric Power Company's Fukushima No. 1 nuclear power plant made it clear that operating nuclear power plants in this earthquake-prone country is inherently dangerous. Japan's nuclear fuel cycle project has stalled, with the Manju Fast Breeder Reactor remaining inoperative despite years of work, and the spent fuel reprocessing plant at Rokasho, Amori Prefecture, is plagued by a series of accidents. A decision to continue the project makes no sense and is deplorable from both an ethical and safety standpoint. 
Nuclear waste storage facilities are nearly full now, and technology to safely store high-level radioactive waste permanently does not exist. Mr. Abe must understand that continuing nuclear power generation in Japan will create serious environmental problems for future generations. Business Week chimed in by saying that Japanese power company stocks that rallied after the election may struggle to sustain gains because of public opposition to restarting atomic plants. Ayako Sera, a market strategist at Sumitomo Mitsui Trust Bank Limited in Tokyo, said, Just because politicians say they want to restart reactors doesn't mean they will actually be able to do it. It'll be hard to maintain these stock gains. Any reactor restart will need approval from the Nuclear Regulatory Authority, which is investigating six atomic plants on concern that they were built on active earthquake lines. Japanese law states reactors cannot be built on active faults, indicating the plants may be decommissioned. All but two of Japan's 50 nuclear reactors are idled due to public safety concerns. Taking a closer look at the latest from Fukushima Daiichi, Arnie Gunderson and Fairwind's Energy Education shared a podcast in which he said, There's a study out this week that talks about the integrity of the concrete on site. To put out the accident, they didn't have fresh water because the tsunami had destroyed all the fresh water. So they had to pump salt water into the nuclear reactor. Concrete and salt water don't get along very well. Look at the Burlington, Vermont parking garage. Arnie is based in Vermont. When you have the salt from cars, pretty quickly it cracks out the concrete in the garages. Same thing in a fuel pool, where you've got salty water in concrete with concrete. So the big concern is that in the event of an earthquake in Japan, the concrete will crack, the pool will drain, at which point the fuel will burn in air and it could mean cutting Japan in half for centuries. On the concrete issue, Ray Masalis of the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook group said, You know, they have concrete that can cure underwater and actually travel 300 feet through cracks to seal a crack at the source. They have super chemicals you can add to concrete that will expand and contract, change direction, travel upwards as the crack does, or split into many branches. They have additives that will dissolve obstructions in the path to clear blockage and seal cracks at the source. You can even pump them in with a long boom truck from far away. Why no one there in Japan has thought of using these is a complete mystery to me, and to the rest of us as well. Thanks for that ad, Ray. Another piece of bad news about Fukushima. Tanks designed to hold radioactive filtrate at the Fukushima number 1 nuclear plant are proving too fragile to be used. And the operator has announced a further delay in starting up machinery that cleans contaminated water. This process was to begin operation at the plant in September, but they are unable to predict when the equipment may finally come online. TEPCO confirmed that the vessels could sustain a fall from a height of 6 meters as long as they stayed in an upright position. But tests found that the tanks were breaking and spilling their contents when dropped from a height of only 3 meters in an upside-down position. In an earthquake, nobody can guarantee what position the tanks will be in. So this is, again, not good news. One final word on Fukushima. This from former Nuclear Regulatory Commission Chairman Gregory Iasco. This was just reported by NHK on December 22nd, but Iasco said during an August 2012 trip to Japan, 
This is an important lesson for all of us, and I wish more people could come and see firsthand what has happened. I think there's really no excuse for any of us that have been involved in the nuclear arena to let something like this happen. And with comments like that, it's no wonder that the pro-nuclear forces in Washington forced Yasko out of the NRC. On to some health updates out of Japan. This is from a report on the Learn from Chernobyl tour in Japan. Ms. Kazuko Kawai, who is founder of Voices for Lively Spring, reported, Although thyroid disorders in Fukushima had been much reported by the media, it has been found that evacuees from the Tokyo area also complained about thyroid cysts and nodules. The two doctors who traveled to the area with this tour are very angry about the Fukushima Prefecture government's handling of patients with thyroid disorder. There has been no secondary testing in two years. It is internationally agreed upon within the medical community to control such patients by repeated testing at least once in six months and every two months in more serious cases. Furthermore, It is widely thought that thyroid cancer started surfacing in Chernobyl four years after the nuclear disaster. But according to one of the Japanese doctors, Chernobyl did not have in the beginning such precise devices for thyroid testing as we have in Japan now. The doctors in Chernobyl manually diagnosed thyroid cancer without any precision exam devices. The ultrasound devices were introduced in big cities in Chernobyl about four years after the disaster, which is why they were only then able to start documenting cases of thyroid cancer. At health consultations held on the Learn from Chernobyl tour, we kept hearing about Japanese doctors who laughed at patients or did not listen to patients at all. This has been proven by a Maryland woman a school nurse for 25 years in Japan and a retiree in Rockville, Maryland, named Akemi Maishima. She began volunteering about a year ago at Mano Elementary School in Minami Soma City, which was forced to evacuate after the nuclear plant accident. She reports that she has seen a range of issues among children. Ms. Maishima reported, Some struggle to gain weight while others gain too much and become overweight. Insomnia and frequent headaches are causing some kids to miss school. As expected, all children are mentally stressed. She said that some of the mothers told Meshima that they lost hair within six months of the plant meltdown and subsequent release of radiation. They were almost bald, she says. They told me they were wearing wigs. An official administrator at her school, a 26-year-old woman, reported that her throat had started to hurt and her lymph nodes had started to swell. In both cases, doctors told the women there was no way to determine if the symptoms were caused by radiation, even though these symptoms are completely consistent with responses to exposure to radiation. The women also saw other patients with similar symptoms at the doctor's office, Mishima says. At least we have two pieces of good news. In Quebec, the sole nuclear power plant has ceased production as of 10.30 p.m. on Friday, December 28th. Quebec's Gentilly 2 nuclear power plant is now officially shut down. For the next 18 months, a team of 485 workers will decommission the Gentilly 2 power plant located near Becancourt, Quebec, about 150 kilometers northeast of Montreal. Workers will have to discharge the reactor's fuel, treat heavy water, and deactivate several systems. The fuel and contaminated water will be transferred to holding pools for seven years. After these steps, 
Gentilly 2 will undergo a sleeping stage for 40 years. By 2062, the used fuel rods will be removed from the location and the plant will be completely taken apart. No word, of course, as to where those fuel rods will be brought. The plant's closure is expected to cost $1.8 billion over a period of more than 50 years. And finally, this piece of good news out of Switzerland. Did you know that there is a multimedia musical based on Three Mile Island? There is. And now Three Mile Island, the musical, has won the International Music Theater Now Award. As a result, composer Andre Molino has been invited to present the project in May of 2013 at the Swedish Biennial for Performing Arts in Jönköping, Sweden. Further awards, which might contribute to a further staging of the work, will be assigned at that time. Congratulations to Andre, and we will be presenting an excerpt of his music on Nuclear Hot Seat's Three Mile Island special, which will be coming in March of this year. Okay, time for this week's interview, and it's a hot one with a woman I adore. Priscilla Starr is founder of the Coalition Against Nukes, and the driving force, some might say the overdriving force, behind last year's rally for a nuclear-free future in Washington, D.C. I checked in with Priscilla on New Year's Day to find out what she has in mind for 2013. We're talking with Priscilla Starr, who is the founder of the Coalition Against Nukes, Priscilla, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. You have said that there are some actions that you have in mind for the Coalition Against Nukes for the various member groups during 2013. Can you give us a peek as to what some of those or one of those might be? Yeah, I have a lot of different ideas. I'm constantly trying to put them out and seeing which one resonates. It is difficult to try to collate one as the most meaningful when you consider it's, you know, a national attempt, which is why I created Coalition Against Nukes, not to just to be, you know, one person speaking in the eye, but to uh, formulate more of a national strategy. Something that I'd like to talk about today, and I'm happy you're allowing me to, High on my bucket list is to try and organize a Concerned Citizens Action Committee, primarily of women, to seek an audience with Michelle Obama. Wow. Well, we know her husband's not listening. (laughs) (laughs) I feel we could reach out to her. It's a very viable thought as as women and mothers, not just concerned citizens or anti-nuke activists. And what would be your focus for this outreach? What would you want to achieve by it? What would you want to come out of it? Well, first let me say this has been on my mind since the days right after Fukushima. So uh, it's something I've been thinking about for a very long time, um, something I'd like to see scheduled by the middle of 2013. She'd have to agree to meet. Uh, and, you know, all the usual, we'd like press to see that we're trying to do this, and if she says no, we want to capture that. But this committee is something I'd like to see aiming, taking its goal, discussing radioactive toxins present in our air, our ground, the water. Uh, there are industrial pollutants creating enormous consequences on America's public health. So for God's sake, isn't it about time someone whispers in someone else's ear on the mount about this and not have it covered up. You know, I feel we we have a very simple goal here. We want to get the word out. 
The president's not listening. He's now in term. It's the second time he's won, and I want him to hear us. I'm tired of him not hearing us. I'm tired of him talking only about what is the relationship with Japan in terms of strengthening military ties. It's bullshit. We got to talk about public health. So it's just one of these things I'd like to try and organize. You know, I'm not trying to make a revolution out of it. We know tritium and its deadly siblings have to join the list of industrial pollutants that the EPA deems harmful in America. Would that be one of the goals of this meeting? Yes, yes, so there you go. It's not rocket science. I mean, Michelle knows the EPA was created to protect the environment. So why not advise her on what we know? I mean, there's a lot of people advising a lot of people up there, but nothing's happening. So why can't we, as citizens, is how I see it, it's very simple, try to arrange a meeting with her? We're not the terrorists, the radiation is, so why would we be prohibited to have this kind of a meeting? We need to try. I mean, just like we know, so should she. I mean, they, all of them, all the federal agencies, it's, you know, a big cover-up, we know that. But in this kind of approach, which is like more like apple pie and motherhood, I think it's worth a try. In putting this kind of an approach together, what sort of coalitions do you see the anti-nuclear activists building within their communities to add some strength and some heft to the outreach to Michelle? Well, you know, the A to Zs of how we would architect this would take months, and uh, that's a really good question. And the sooner we see how many people would agree that we need to do it, the the easier I could answer that because there'd be many speakers. I don't know exactly how. I think it's pretty unanimous that the effects on public health are the same no matter what leaking uh, nuclear power plant is in what state. It's all basically the same, so that's what makes it national. Right. You know? I was thinking in terms of outreach to parents' groups and mothering groups. groups. And right. I mean, mommy no and school. me groups. Yeah. I mean, yoga groups. No school wants us to come with a flyer. We know that. I mean, uh, mothers could get looked at very odd. You know, we could start in our own communities. We could actually the people that would form the committee. I had thought before would need to make a pact that they would begin this journey. This this committee where we're all together and go to a local reporter and make sure they're following it. They're following how we're going about it, even if it's just a couple of paragraphs in a local paper. It's Googleable news. It shows that this lady in this city, whether it's uh, you in your city, me in my city, my town, you know, village, wherever we are, we started it simultaneously and we could get tracked with how much progress we have getting that meeting asking for the meeting when we started to try and continue to persist until we are accepted. It would take some time. It's sort of a big bite out of an apple, but I just feel like I live in a country where no one's listening. I hear you, you hear me, but they're not. And it sounds kind of cliched, I know, but I'm simple. I'm a simple person. I don't have goals more than what I think I have a right to obtain. And if I'm going to stay in this country, I don't want to leave. I want to have made a difference. I tried before. I know we didn't have a huge gathering in D.C., but... But we had a powerful gathering in D.C. because I was there and I saw it. And it was important that we got to know each other face-to-face as activists. The thing is, we did meet. 
in D.C. And we're on a uh, one-on-one basis with each other. We talk all the time. You know, we know who we are. I mean, from California to New York and Midwest to, you know, Southeast, wherever we are, we know who we are. So we could have a core group of, of activists that go, and we don't have to try to, uh, you know, be brash. We would be very, uh, we need to be civilized. We need oh, to we're be a very well-mannered group. I mean, we need to be on point. We have to have all of our science correct. We know that there's a disproportionate amount of harm to women than men from ionizing radiation. And in this sense, we want to talk about what's coming from the nuclear power plants. We just want to bring it down to home. You know, we're grassroots organizers. She married one. She married one, and that's why we elected him the first time. And that's nothing anybody talks about anymore. That's not like the big uh, headline anymore because he's gone corporate. So we got to go back to the roots. we got to remind them of who they are with those roots, that we all share the same grassroots, and those roots are, 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 are rotting because there's something stinking in the air, the ground, the water, we want to talk about it. I don't see that there's something about this that we can't try for. It's just one action. <laughs> you ask me what's on my, my wish list, that's one. That's a really big one for this year. There are others, but right now I wanted to focus on that because by giving a shout-out, if anyone's interested, I'd love to hear from them. They could reach me. There's a contact form on www.coalitionagainstnukes.org, and we can talk offline about this and start the committee. And there's also a way to find the Coalition Against Nukes on Facebook. That's correct. I can't give you the link. You just go to Facebook. I don't know all the little letters and numbers, but it's there. Uh, all you have all... to do is put in the search function Coalition you Against Nukes, it. and it... it will come up. Now, Priscilla, um, in closing this out, what, if any, message would you like to share to the many activists, not only around the country but around the world, who are listening to Nuclear Hot Seat Podcast? One world. One country, one room. It's it's not the distance anymore that separates us. It's the fact that we are all the same, crying out with the same subject matter every day. The mainstream media isn't covering it. Maybe a small amount we accomplished this year where we saw it in, in, in mainstream press. But it's killing our planet. The climate change rallies have to merge. We have to merge. We have to talk together about why it's not green, nuclear is not green, we have to open up our minds to the thought that we have to galvanize with other movements, I would say, Um, and I think everyone's aware of that. It's not just an anti-nuclear movement anymore, it's a movement to save the planet. So it doesn't matter what country we're in, we're we're trying to be survivalists. In the best possible way. Right. Priscilla Starr, founder of Coalition Against Nukes Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite firebrands who I have met in the last year. I want to thank you so much for being part of Nuclear Hot Seat today. And Happy New Year to you. The same to you. God bless. Here's the final thought. The problem with making a New Year's resolution is that it sounds like the problem is resolved as soon as we make the resolution. That is not the case. In doing it this way, we set ourselves up for overwhelm and failure. So instead of making New Year's resolutions for the anti-nuclear movement, I suggest we take a page out of the coaching profession's basic toolkit, this is my profession so I know the toolkit, and set up intentions and goals that we wish to achieve by the end of the year. Select a goal you believe is at least 50% possible. Figure out where you want to be with it by December 31st of 2013. 
and here's what you do to make it doable. From December 31st, count back six months and figure out where do you need to be by June 30th to achieve that end. Next, cut that in half and think where you have to be three months from now, at the end of March. What do you have to do in order to reach this quarter benchmark? After that, break it down into each of the three months. Then start with this month, January. Figure out weekly goals, manageable pieces you believe you can reach that will add up to the one-month goal. Now, what do you have to do to achieve that by the end of the first week? Figure out the individual days and the steps you need to take. There you have it. You add up each of the days of work to reach your goal for the week. You add up your weeks of work to reach the goal for the month. You add those into the three-month benchmark, then the six-month benchmark, unroll that all the way to the end of the year, and the odds are that you will have made it. Now remember that you can only make resolutions regarding your own involvement in the issue. You can't guarantee what anybody else or anything else is going to do. You might do all the work and not get the results you want from the outside world, but that's okay. This is about you doing what you see is necessary. Just hold tight to that vision, keep moving towards it, and at all times, be ready for a miracle. So where do you want your corner of the anti-nuclear agenda to be in 12 months? Six, three, two, one. At the end of every week in this month, And what do you need to do today in order to make these interim goals? That's the way that it is with activism. One day, one step at a time, we move forward. And with all of us moving forward together, we will win. Thanks for being on this journey with me. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, January 1st, 2013, starting off the new year with a bang, though not a nuclear explosion. Material for this podcast was gathered from ENENews.com, Fukushima Diary, written by Yori Mochizuki, XSKF, Fairwinds Energy Education, CourthouseNews.com, Stripes, KOMO-TV, NBC7 in San Diego, Kyoto News, Christina Consuelo, Ray Marsalis, San Clemente Green, The Big Picture with Tom Harmon, Japan Times, Asahi Shinbun, WTOP.com, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation News, and the ever-present and ever-attentive Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook Network. You can check out all the Nuclear Hot Seat podcasts because they're posted on NuclearHotSeat.com. Click on the blog page. We can also be found on two Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat pages and on iTunes podcasts. Share us, link to us. This is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so use us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep.